Welcome back to Heroes of the Faith, a show where we are inspired by the lives of the saints so that we can become saints ourselves. I'm your host, Deacon Isaac Longworth, and a little while ago, I was at a party with some friends, and I was wearing my Roman collar, so kind of the classic black shirt with white collar because I'm studying to become a priest. And there was this girl at this party that I had never met before, uh, probably in her mid to late 20s, and we started chatting. And she had no faith. She had kind of come from maybe a Muslim background, but right now she identified just as as an atheist or an agnostic. She didn't really know what her faith was, Uh, but she was talking with me about what it was like to study to become a Catholic priest. And in the midst of the conversation, I was explaining to her how I am not going to be married. I've taken a vow of celibacy. And she paused me and she said, wait a minute, like you're never getting married? And I said, no. And she said, well, you're at least still able to have sex, right? And I kind of laughed and I was like, well, actually, no, because, you know, I believe sex is meant to be within marriage. And so if I'm giving up marriage, I'm also giving up sex. And she was so shocked when I said this. She was so shocked that she literally stopped talking and just stared at me with her mouth open. And she was probably just staring at me. It's probably for only for a couple of seconds, but it seemed like a lot longer. And eventually she kind of, her brain restarted and she kind of shook herself out of it. And she said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude. I don't, I don't mean to stare. I just, I, I can't even imagine someone voluntarily giving up sex forever. It was, it wasn't even in her frame of thinking, wasn't even possible in her mind. And I think one of the main reasons this girl's response was so strong is because the culture that we live in is so soaked in impurity that the idea of someone remaining a virgin forever, especially remaining a virgin as some kind of way to live out a life for God, it just doesn't make sense to most people. It just doesn't fit in with the values of our society, of our culture. And the saint that I want to talk to you about today, she actually lived in a very similar culture. But unlike me, she had to go through a lot more than just kind of an awkward conversation because of her decision that she made to live out a life of purity. And the saint that I'm talking about is Saint Agatha. Now, Agatha was born around the year 231 in Sicily, which at the time was part of the Roman Empire. And we don't know too much about her family life or background, but in most of the sources on her life, it appears to be true that she was from a wealthy and powerful family. And it appears that when she was a young girl, she made a promise to make a gift of her virginity to Jesus. Now, you maybe have never heard of this before. Maybe this is something new. You're maybe wondering, uh, what was Agatha doing exactly? What is she giving to Jesus? Well, this was something that was very common In the earliest years of the church, Christian women would pledge to remain virgins forever in honor of Jesus. And this isn't something that was just around in the earliest years of the church. In the ancient church, this is still around now. I personally know five women who are consecrated virgins. So they're not nuns. They don't live in a convent, but they live in the world. They have regular jobs, but they stay single. And they do that to make a gift of their virginity to God. They promise to always remain single, consecrated to the Lord. 
And one of the reasons that this was so popular in the early church is because in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, St. Paul, who himself was unmarried, writes that to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain single as I do. Now, why virginity? Why is Paul stressing the fact that giving your virginity to God is something that is beautiful, that is good? Is it because Paul in the Bible is somehow saying that marriage is bad or that it's somehow less pleasing to God? No, that is not what the Bible is teaching at all. Virginity is just a special way for someone who is called to that to show love for Jesus. So a woman who becomes a consecrated virgin, by taking no husband, she is showing that all of her love can be given to Jesus alone, that she doesn't have to share her love with a husband, but that she can give it to Jesus as if he was her spiritual husband. Consecrated virginity also was a really powerful way to show the world that we don't live just for the goods of this world, but we live for heaven. Because in heaven, there will be no marriage. And so a consecrated virgin is showing by her life here on earth that she's not living for the world and all of the good things in it, even one of the best goods that God ever created, which is marriage. She's forgoing those goods in order to point the world to the reality of heaven that is coming. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but all are like angels in heaven. So Agatha felt this call from God to remain a virgin for him, and she said yes to that. She chose to make a promise to God to remain a virgin for her whole life in order to give that full gift of herself, of her sexuality, to the Lord. However, there was a problem for Agatha because she was very beautiful. And there was a young politician, a young Roman politician named Quintianus, who became obsessed with her. He became obsessed with Agatha's beauty, and he wanted to marry her. But poor Quintianus was out of luck, because when he made his request to Agatha, she told him, sorry, I'm not interested. Now, she didn't get into the details of why. She didn't go into explaining that she had consecrated herself as a virgin to God, but she just said, no, I'm not interested in marrying you. But Quintianus was persistent. He kept coming back. He kept requesting. He wouldn't take no for an answer. And the main reason why is because he just couldn't understand why she would say no. In the Roman culture at the time, marriage was expected. Most Roman women were married long before the age of 20 and were already starting their family. And besides, Quintianus was a rich man from a political family. And Agatha was from a rich family. And so in that culture, look, there's two families that have around the same amount of money and wealth and influence, and they're both around the, the same age. They need to find a spouse to start a family. Why wouldn't you go for this? It seemed to make sense. And yet Agatha wouldn't budge. Now, Quintianus wasn't a Christian, but rather he worshipped the pagan gods of Rome. But he had heard that Christians were famous for living out lives of radical purity that were very different from the rest of the culture. One of the ways that the Christians were different is that they kept away from having sex before they were married. And once they were married, they stayed faithful to their spouses. 
Now, this was very countercultural in the time of ancient Rome because the pagan Romans had no problem with their men sleeping around before marriage. In fact, even after marriage, adultery was common. Men slept with many different mistresses and prostitutes while they were married, and the wife was expected to just be okay with it because the idea was, well, that's what it means to be a man. It's like he can't control himself. The Christians also were very different from the pagan Romans because they resisted all forms of disordered lust. They ensured that their relationships were only between married men and women which again was very different than the lifestyle of the pagans that lived around them. The pagan Romans engaged in all kinds of disordered sexual activity. Their culture was truly saturated by lust. One of the reasons that we know this is because in archaeological digs and discoveries about ancient Rome, they found that their homes were filled, were decorated with graphically pornographic art and statues. They were just steeped in lustful, impure artwork. On top of this, the Roman culture was very tolerant, very accepting of homosexuality. They actually viewed homosexuality sometimes as a rite of passage for some younger men to be initiated into the culture by having a relationship with an older, more experienced man. There was also a huge amount of assault happening with masters and their slaves because slaves were viewed as the property of their masters. Slavery was very common, very rampant in the Roman civilization and slaves could be used by their master any way that he wanted without any restraint on what he could do to them. And many of the religious festivals celebrated to honor their false gods of the pagans, they involved bizarre sexual practices, temple prostitution, wild orgies that honestly, I don't really want to get into because it's just too disturbing. So this was the culture of ancient Rome. This is the world that Agatha lived in. And so because of Agatha's consistent purity and her rejection of his attempts at marriage, Quintianus was able to look at her life and realize maybe she's a Christian. He started to put two and two together, and he suspected that Agatha was one of these weirdly pure Christians who wouldn't go along with all of the lustful, impure actions that was so prominent in the culture. Now, when he accused her of becoming a Christian, she admitted, yes, it is true. I am a Christian. And the reason that I have chosen to remain a virgin forever is to give myself completely to God. Now, of course, Quintianus did not understand why she would do this. He was angry, he was hurt, and he was still obsessed with her. And now that he had this information, he plotted for a way to be able to take her for himself, even if she didn't want to. He was willing to go through any means possible to get her for himself. And his opportunity came when one day the emperor of Rome ordered a massive persecution to take place against the Christians in the empire. So Christians were forced to burn incense to Roman gods in a religion ceremony. And if they did so, they got a passport, which meant they could live in safety. But if they refused, if they said, no, I'm not worshiping the gods of Rome, I'm only worshiping the one true God, then they could be arrested, tortured, or even killed. 
And many Christians refused to burn incense to false gods. They stayed loyal to Jesus, and many of them paid the ultimate price for that loyalty. Now, Quintianus realized that finally he had his chance. He had his chance to finally force Agatha to marry him because he knew her secret Christian identity. And so he actually tried to blackmail her into marrying him. He said, if you don't marry me, if you don't go along with what I want, I'll report you as a Christian. I'll denounce you. And then, then you're going to be put to death. Now, he thought that would work, but he was shocked when she stood fast. She said, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you denounce me as a Christian. I am a Christian. I belong to Jesus and I'm not marrying you. That's final. And he was so enraged that she would rather die than marry him that Quintianus, in his jealousy, actually went through with it and denounced her to the authorities. He went and told on her and said, I have found a Christian. I've found one of these weird Christians who doesn't follow the gods of Rome. Out of sheer jealousy and obsession, he turned her in. So Agatha was dragged before a judge who heard Quintianus's accusations against her, and the judge ordered that for her punishment, she was to be taken to live in a brothel. She would be forced to live with all of the prostitutes who worked there, and he instructed the woman who owned the brothel to do everything in her power to manipulate Agatha, to break her down, to take her spirit away and convince her to lose her virginity. Now, when we hear this, we're thinking to ourselves probably, what? How, how is this something that a judge could actually order? But if you think about it, there's an evil genius to this plan. Both the judge and Quintianus thought that if they could just break Agatha's spirit using this evil and disgusting place to do it, then she would lose her reason for not marrying him and he could finally have her. So Agatha was sent off to live in this brothel and yet despite her circumstances, she remained unmoved. Despite living in such a soul-sucking place, constantly barraged by temptations of impurity, can you imagine what that would have been like for Agatha to live in there? But she just kept her soul focused on Jesus, and she kept her gift of virginity intact. And eventually, the brothel owner reported to the judge, look, Agatha isn't breaking down. She's actually becoming even more committed in her resolve to stay true to Jesus. I can't do anything else with her. No matter what I throw at her, she remains pure. And so the judge realized this plan isn't working. Now, Quintianus was furious that she still refused him. Even after all that she'd been through, she still refused to marry him. And he burned with revenge against this holy virgin. And so he demanded that she be tortured. Because basically he thought, if I can't have her beauty, then I'm going to destroy her. I'm going to destroy her beauty. I'm going to attack this holy virgin because she won't have me. And so Agatha was tortured in truly horrific ways. She was beaten with whips. She was stretched out on a rack that pulled her until her limbs were disjointed. And then when she was stretched out like that and her skin was stretched taut, They used iron hooks to shred her skin, to just tear her to pieces. As if this wasn't enough, one of their most brutal and disturbing tortures that they did to her is that they used red hot pincers to cut off her breasts. 
And yet, despite all of these horrible tortures, Agatha refused to worship the false gods of the Romans, and she maintained that no matter what they did to her, she belonged only to Jesus. And so after they had tortured her for hours and she was bleeding and near death, they put her back in prison where they basically left her to die. And according to legend, St. Peter himself came to her in her cell, visited her and comforted her. And he worked a miracle of healing for her where her breasts miraculously grew back, which is really a beautiful and touching thing because Jesus had showed his power in restoring the body of his bride who had offered herself completely for him. Now, because of this particularly gruesome torture and the subsequent healing that happened afterwards, St. Agatha was often pictured in church art as holding a platter with her two dismembered breasts on it, which I know is extremely bizarre. Can you imagine if that was hanging up in your church? But some people, when they were looking at this picture and they didn't know the story of St. Agatha, they didn't know the story behind the image, they thought that she was holding a platter with two loaves of bread on it. And so they assumed, well, she must have been a bread maker in her life. And that's actually what she became the patron saint of. St. Agatha was the patron saint of bread makers. But then years later, after people did research into her life and realized what had actually happened and that she's not holding loaves of bread like we thought she was, she then became a new patron, the patron saint of those who struggle who suffer with breast cancer, which just goes to show that in the Catholic Church, there is literally a patron saint of everything, that there is nothing in your life that there is not a patron saint of that you can turn to for help. But anyways, let's not get too sidetracked by some of the bizarre details of Agatha's life. Let's get back to the main story. So finally realizing that Agatha was not going to abandon her faith, Quintianus and the judge sentenced her to a horrible death. They ordered that she be roasted alive on a bed of coals that had been mixed with shards of broken pottery. So the idea was that she would be stretched out over this bed of live coals that would burn her while the shards of pottery would cut her skin and she would die essentially by burning and bleeding to death. Now, she survived for a time in horrible pain on this bed of coals before finally they took her off and returned her back to her prison cell where she eventually died of her injuries when she was around 22 years old. Now, St. Agatha lived in a culture that did not value purity, a culture that didn't understand why Christians had such a focus on living chastely, a culture that mocked her, hated her, persecuted her and eventually killed her and other Christians for daring to say that their twisted view of sex did not match God's plan. And like I said at the beginning of the show, our culture is very similar. We live in a culture that is incredibly pornographic, where immodesty floods our advertisement, where there's explicit content saturating our music, our TV shows, our entertainment, as the global pornography industry makes billions and billions every single year. We live in a culture where disordered sexual relationships and practices are normalized, 
where homosexuality, gender confusion, polyamory, and every other form of impurity is reveled in as people attend obscene parades and drag shows. And people seem to outdo each other in trying to show off their lusts to the world. Fornication and promiscuity is almost expected at this point in our culture. Adultery and the breakdown of the family is rampant. And it seems like our culture is quite literally enslaved to lust. Now, as Christians, we are called to live in a different way. We are not called to go along with the culture. We are called to practice the virtue of chastity. Now, the virtue of chastity is described in the Catechism of the Catholic Church as this. Chastity is the successful integration of sexuality within the person, and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. Chastity includes an apprenticeship in self-mastery, which is a training in human freedom. Now, that's a lot to deal with. I want to break it down to you. Basically, what that means is that God created humans as male and female, and that there is a really good and natural attraction of one to the other. It's good that men are attracted to women and women are attracted to men. There is a sexual drive in us as human beings. And that's because man is incomplete without woman. Woman is incomplete without man. Our biology literally shows that in a real way, men and women are complementary of each other. That's why in marriage, where a husband and wife commit to each other for life, God blesses that union. He's made marriage a proper place for sexual activity, for this sexual drive to be accomplished that brings about new life in the family, that brings about children. And so the sexual attraction that we feel as humans, it's not something that's bad or disgusting. It's something that is a gift from God. He designed sex. He created it. He is the one who invented it. We just need to be able to use that gift of sexuality properly. It's kind of like if you have a pair of scissors. A pair of scissors is really good for cutting things, but it's really bad for brushing your teeth, for instance. You don't want to be doing your teeth with scissors. You want to use that for cutting. So we need to use sex as God intended it to be used. If we try and go off and try and make up new ways to express our sexuality, that's where it becomes dangerous. And all of the lusts of the world, pornography, prostitution, homosexual relationships, rape, hookup culture, all of that, all of these are different ways of misusing God's gift of sex. However, just like St. Agatha, Christians today who try to live a life of purity, they often face misunderstanding, mockery, and even open hatred by the world. I remember talking with this with this Christian teenager once who was telling me and her parents that it is just so hard to dress modestly. Because if I do, then all the other girls make fun of me. They make fun of me because I don't show off my body like they do. And there is so much pressure on people nowadays, especially teenagers, to lose their virginity as soon as possible, as if it's a shameful thing to still be a virgin. Christians are openly mocked in the media, in newspapers, on TV shows, for having a purity culture. 
as if Christians are somehow repressed or naive or sheltered because they're trying to save themselves for marriage. Why save yourself for marriage, the culture says. Are you brainwashed? Just live your life. Just have fun with the rest of us. Why this emphasis on purity? But St. Agatha is a great role model for all of us in how we can live a life of chastity, even though we live in the middle of a lust-crazed world. You see, she didn't view her virginity as something shameful, as something that she needed to get rid of as soon as possible. She saw her sexuality as a treasure from God that she was willing to give back to him. Now, obviously, not all of you who are listening are called to be a virgin forever like Agatha was, though some of you may have that calling from the Lord. And if so, go for it, follow it, because it truly is a life of joy if you live it for the Lord. But all of us, regardless of what our ultimate vocation is to married life, to single life, whatever, all of us are called to chastity. Married people are called to live chastity by loving their spouse, remaining faithful to them, honoring their relationship with them, and raising up children in their family for the Lord. All of us can use the virtue of chastity to show that we have control over our sexual desire, that we're not ruled by our passions, but that we rule over our desires. And we can fight lust in our lives. We can cut out anything that objectifies people, turning them into objects of pleasure. And like St. Agatha, we can learn to view sexuality in the proper way. That it's not a plaything that we can use however we want, that there's no consequences for that. That we also don't treat it as something evil or bad that we need to suppress, but rather, like St. Agatha, we look at it as a gift from God. That we live out joyfully, either by giving it as a gift to someone else in marriage or by giving it to God through a religious vocation like Agatha did. And so let's pray right now that we would become saints who live lives of chastity, just like she did. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Agatha, you were pressured and manipulated by powerful men in your life who saw you as an object to be used. And right now, I just want to pray for all those throughout the world who have been victimized by sexual abuse or by assault, especially if any of them are listening in right now. That just as Jesus was able to minister to Agatha in prison, to heal her wounds, to restore her, that he would visit each and every person who has been hurt or abused by someone else and bring them the healing, the peace, and the freedom that they need. St. Agatha, you were a true hero of purity and chastity. But there might be some listening in who right now are thinking, well, that's great for Agatha, but I've already messed up. I've already lost my virginity. I've already entered into the lust of the world. There's no coming back for me. And I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would show those people that this is a lie. That God never gives up on any of us, no matter what we've done. That he's always waiting for us to approach him for mercy. That no matter how shameful or disgusting that you think that you are, that is not how Jesus looks at you. That Jesus looks at you, not with shame or disgust, but with so much love, with so much understanding, you can't even imagine it. 
and he wants to give you a fresh start. So turn to him today, turn to God today and live a new life of chastity by his grace, just like St. Agatha did. St. Agatha, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.